course you can lie to me. And you will. If you love me and you're going off with Maddie someplace, you're lying to me. Because what the hell do I care about the truth? I care if you're there. But Billy Holiday say, hush now, don't explain. All right, I accept that. Of course. All of right, course you lie to me. I don't even want to care. What, what does the truth matter? And why are you going to be truthful with me when you lie to everybody else? You lied when you smiled at that cracker down the job, right? Lie to me, smile. Treat me the same way you would treat him. I can't treat you, you the must. way I treat him. You must. Because I've caught the I've caught the frowns and the anger. He's happy with you. Of course he doesn't know you're unhappy. You grin at him all day long. You come on when I catch hell. Because I love you, I get least of you. I get I get the very minimum. And I'm saying, you know, fake it with me. Is that too much of the black woman to ask of the black man? Welcome, welcome. This is the Simply King Podcast coming to you right here from the cold, cold, cold streets of Chicago. And I'm so glad to be back here. I'm glad to be right here in your eardrums, giving y'all something to listen to. Been gone for quite some time. Um, uh, This is episode 101. And y'all know I don't even be counting episodes, but... It was I felt like I was, you know, slightly, you know, less festive than I wanted to be. But I reached the goal of getting to 100 in podcasting. And I feel like it came by the skin of my teeth. I feel like uh, you guys were with me for so many different things. If you've been listening to the show since the beginning three years ago, then you would know that, you know, this show has certainly had its times where you didn't see anything. You didn't see something that week. I I didn't even let you know you weren't going to see anything that week. And it's definitely a toll i think i'm trying my best to be as transparent as i can be when it comes to my platform but it creating and being a creative in general is something that is very taxing on you it can be a toll on your your soul and your, your energy and all these different things and especially when you have other things that you have to take care of in life you have other responsibilities and also just the unexpected that occurs in life um that you have to deal with but this year is a special one because I came in with a different plan. As you see, as I've been saying for quite some time, that I'm going to get on Spotify. And for some of you, you're literally listening to this on Spotify. And I appreciate you for being here. You know what I'm saying? It feels good. I hope it's, you know it sounds good. I hope everything's coming through clear and nice. If you notice, you can still listen to all the previous episodes if you just now coming into knowing who simply king is welcome 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 this is because y'all know what this is for the people who listening this is the soulfully conscious podcast for humans simply being humans this is simply king and i'm rodney perry your host um it is black history month this is something that i think every year i've always centered and made these kind of black history inspired episodes um for the whole month give you four of them bam 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 this month 
this year, I kind of wanted to approach things differently. You know, I wanted to give you some, I wanted to truly make as much room for having guests on that I believe are, because I have black people on all the time. <laughs> I think I do my due diligence and I think I celebrate black history year round where I've talked about things out of every random month where I'm talking and bringing up something about black history. So I thought about it like, okay, Ronnie, are you going to kind of keep going with the same fold and kind of going in with, you know, the the whole, you know, national holiday, nationally recognized vibes and give them something that's just, you know, for the times, for the moment, something so timely. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I will give them something that I feel like I can put some energy into, something that I feel like I care about and something that I think is extremely interesting, too. So did a little bit of research compiled what I believe to be a very, very interesting episode about black love through the ages, through the times, the peaks and valleys, the good and bad, the the ugly and the so, so pretty. So bear with me, stick with me as I go through this time machine of black love. Appreciate y'all. My journey begins with one of the earliest examples of African-American relationships. As we all know, the troubled beginnings of a lot of our ancestors came here on in the most horrific, inhumane, monstrous, supreme, supremely oppressive in a most in the most supremely oppressive fashion through bondage. And even amongst this bondage, we had to we had love. So I thought to myself, how can you find any type of real, true primary depictions? And I thought back to my college days when we talked about the times of slavery and I, what I brought what it brought me to was the slave narratives. Now, slave narratives, there's so many, there's hundreds and hundreds of pages. So I was thinking, like, this is something I can certainly try to skim through and try to find things on. And I was like, OK, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down four words when it comes to love and relationships that people kind of, you know, that I believe kind of are in a lot of love and relationships. And uh, those four words being marriage, marry, love and happy. When I search and tried to filter to see how many times these words were used in all the slave narratives of about 354 pages, I came across the word marriage four times. The word marry 68 times. The word love 43 times. And the word happy 13 times. Now, I think it's very interesting. Marriage is also, you know, it's a word that possibly they just didn't use as much but I don't want to insult the intelligence of our ancestors. But what was interesting is it being for, I got to see exactly what the terms in which they were speaking about marriage. Most of the time it was speaking on the masters and things outside of themselves. But when it came to Mary, as I see, as I said, it was 68 times 
the word Mary came up in some of these anecdotes. And they spoke about them having love, actually being free and becoming free or being within bondage and getting married. The way that it they described it was very common in the sense of it being very procedural, being a very traditional thing, being something that you just had to do. I married, I married Bill, and he gave me two children. Period. Love is there 43 times. And mostly, it was in terms of some sort of affection towards their masters. I could have did even more due diligence to see if there was anything about some sense of expression towards their mate, towards their partner, towards their spouse. Didn't see any. Then you had happy. 13 times, 13 times happy was mentioned. And it was a lot of record, you know, kind of reflecting and them recollecting the moments of some type of personal joy. Becoming free, the end of the war, the moment to support yourself. Hardly ever there was that happiness spoken directly towards love. But this is the times that we live. These were the times that they were living in where your emotions and things kind of were in a certain place. Having pride and a sense of identity for yourself and those things didn't have a place. There was no formal schooling, so even a sense of understanding and having the vocabulary to express yourself was extremely limited. And I think that's very, 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 very vital when it comes to communication of blackness and the communication of just love in general, because that's key. But as we move on, we, we notice that, you know, we have these depictions and these definite, you know, examples and expressions. Marriage did happen. Relationships did certainly happen during these times. Jumping the broom is something that's a beautiful symbol that exemplifies this time of the you know 1800s um and they say there was a custom that was brought over from africa west africa between the 1890s after you know after emancipation and the end of the civil war between 1890s all the way to 1960s black people had higher marriage rates than whites i think that's a pretty interesting fact But let's dive and delve into the 1960s and 1980s. Well, we moving on up to the east side with a deluxe apartment in the sky. A such, such, such familiar, familiar show that came that came to show us what it was like to be a black power couple getting to the point of success. Certainly our first depiction of the black middle class was with the Jeffersons. But 
during this time of the 1960s, we had a resurgence of black images, a resurgence of blackness that was on the TV screens in the worst and best ways. A sense of liberation that was there that could not be really ignored. But also it was this with the images of, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, obviously, but also so many complimentary individuals who came along within that time as well. Blackness was at an all time high and to see that these that these people were all family men. And understand that everything prior to this, these people were growing up in two parent homes. These people were growing up with marriage as a necessity. Marriage is a cornerstone within the black community. It's very vital. It's very, very vital. But I think at this time also, there was a sense of norms that were established because of the times that black people were living in between those, between Jim Crow and uh, just honestly post uh, Civil War times and reconstruct in the reconstruction industrial revolution eras by the time you get to the 1960s you have this instance this instance of there's been so much time that has passed and we've tried to do so many things we've developed so many different things we've gotten certain things but we still yet are not equal and with the support of so many black women within these times it certainly pushed up and pushed out this sense of resentment and revolt and this revolutionary tone that came out into the world that was so unforeseen. But also, like I said in the beginning of this part, it also brought imagery that we never really seen before. Imagery that we can not bypass. With images like Florida and James Evans of the Good Times show airing within the 70s and taking on the depiction of a family in Chicago growing, kind of going about life within the ghetto. It's something that we've seen so many different depictions of ourselves, truly, truly showing that they're, that black people are not a monolith and that the black family yet again is still at the cornerstone of those things. Diane Carroll came on TV screens as Julia, a single black mother, giving a interesting depiction of post-Vietnam times. But also you had such a variety of things because equally as you have Julia with Diane Carroll, you also have Claudine being a film where it shows the depiction of the system integrating into the black family. Now, this is in the, seven, the the late 60s and 70s. So it's an interesting part that we have to acknowledge that these things started to happen very, very early. These things started to happen more frequently later, obviously, but these things were present. And not only were they present, but they were seen on the screen. But yet again, she was married and she lost her husband in the war. So marriage is still a segment 
within these times, within this era. It's very vital. And we have to make that distinction that marriage within this time was a necessity. It was around. It was expected. It was what you knew. Keep that in mind now. But I feel like we have to continue. We certainly have to continue because these things can steadily increase. Imagery and the times certainly increased. And I believe that the times where things were happening within the real world with the assassination of MLK, with the assassination of Malcolm X, with the assassination of so many brilliant leaders who were leading us to a better place socially. Certainly put an interesting piece on just the black community as a whole. But the black family still stayed intact. Even during these hardships, because we had no choice, we had to. We had to stand up for each other. We had to remember the words and remember the values that were established. So you have organizations like the Nation of Islam, the, the Nation of Islam, who continue to thrive. Most most of these churches are still churches still to this day that were helped that helped organize with Martin Luther King. A lot of those people who were involved with Martin Luther King went on who were even younger than him and not married, went on to become married and also take on public office. Such people as John Lewis. So the black, but the black family was still something that was very intact and black love was something that wasn't depicted in the way that it was a very standard way. It gave it to you in sparks. It gave it to you in moments. It gave it to you in these different, different depictions of very variety of depictions as well. Being that you can have the Jeffersons who are all the way up on the top of the spectrum and then bring it down to where you see Julia and Florida Evans, who has to now was married, but loses her, her husband, James, in the midst of this whole series. And now she has to raise her children by herself. So she really showing the depiction of the black family. These stories were real. These stories really happen. But like I want to keep pointing out. Marriage was still a thing. Now, it's nothing wrong with not believing in marriage now. Let's put that in the context. I don't want to shame anybody who does not believe in that. But I would like to say that it's interesting. It's extremely interesting that this is something that our ancestors really believed in. And I understand why. Something that was put on to us, too, but also it was a, a bond, I believe, that we believed in. From the go, from the jump. We believed in it being bound to an individual. It was a part of us. I think the way that we go about it and the way that, you know, we kind of celebrated something that we didn't obviously come up with and obviously create. We've certainly got into, we certainly assimilated into the idea of it, of what marriage is. But it's something that we certainly were down with and co-opted into our own culture in our own way. But let's get out of the 60s let's get out of the 80s and let's please let's let's step into the 90s
Now, I think the bulk of our episodes, bulk of this episode is certainly going to be about these last two eras, being the 1990s and the 2000s to the present, because this is something that is close to my heart and I have so many opinions and I believe there's so much substance within it that should be spoken to. But let's get to it. So the 1990s, what I would like to dub as the Love Jones generation. Yes, yes, I'm here in Chicago and cliches like that are welcome because I said so. You love that movie. It did a lot for you. I understand. And if you have not seen Love Jones, I want you to continue to listen to this after you're done. Stop what you're doing. Make sure you go to Amazon's or go to wherever you can go to stream or go to do any little thing where you can put a movie in. If you got to go get a a red box, if you got to go and get whatever you need to do, see if it's on Hulu, see if it's on Amazon Prime. If you need to contact me and see if I have any of the streaming services you need so that you can take the time and catch some life by watching the classic that is Love Jones. Now. Love Jones is something that came out within the 90s. I believe I'll have to check. I believe it came out in 19. Let me see what. When did it come out? Yes, 1997. I knew it wasn't that early in the 90s. But 1997. Starring Lorenz Tate and Nia Long. Now, I'm not going to give you a whole spiel about the movie. But I believe that within the 1990s, with the with already the introduction of black imagery and black family and blackness on television in some way, shape or form, either being because of political, either being within these two decades of 1960s to the 1980s, you had these things being politically politicized, but also for entertainment value and entertainment purposes as well. And I think those two parts are key because both of those two parts showed men and women together doing a thing. Men and women together raising a family. Men and women together going about life. Sometimes it was very cliche it was very kind of a little bit too on the nose but it was right on time because why there was not much of us on television so we just like how some of us are today when we get certain black things we go right to it because we really don't have much of it we really want it we really want to see it we want to know all about it love jones i believe was a interesting story because it sparked an interesting era and kind of Paved the way for what we know as this kind of, you know, those classic films such as The Best Man, Love, Love and Basketball, Brown Sugar that came out, you know, towards the, you know, the end of the, you know, I guess the I guess the beginning of the millennium and um, in the early 2000s as well. Um, but also it exemplifies so many different things. Love Jones eloquently, and I believe within these times, within the 1990s, I think there was this interesting eloquence of showing blackness at all stages and phases. 
you had on television shows like Martin, where Martin and Fresh Prince happen, you know, practically simultaneously. Uh, but also shows like the Cosby show that was continuing on what the Jeffersons already established, showing you the black nucleus family. But you had shows like Martin, which did what? Martin essentially gave you the depiction of what it looks like to date black love before marriage, pre-marriage. Now, it is vital and it must be said that also within the 90s and also within these depictions of blackness within the 90s, a lot of things happen. There are certain things that occur. There was this rise in the depiction of the black middle class that occurred with most of these things. With the Fresh Prince, obviously, is kind of the most extreme version of that, being that these people are extremely wealthy. But you have people like Martin, who has a stable job. You have people, his, his partner, Gina, who literally became an executive while the shows aired. And but you t go back to Love Jones and you have a woman who you have two artists. Who ultimately get to the end of the film and they get to a point of success. She now gets placements and now works for this magazine or works within New York in her field. And you have him, a writer who was just writing for a company and eventually branched off and now became his own art, became an author of a book and certainly became somebody who was on his way. Showing that this is what it looks like, showing that there is some type, some sort of giving the, the depiction of individuality with the hints of the desire of romance and love love jones encompassed that it gave us that it was a beautiful depiction of what that looks like and then on, on top of that they gave it to you with a little bit of extra because they gave you different versions they gave they still gave you a slight depiction of marriage within love jones but even within love jones they gave you something that was interesting Unlike all those things that came prior, because we never seen Bill, we never seen Cliff cheat on Claire, we never seen, you know, George step out on Wheezy, we never seen James have us trouble with Florida. Love Jones gave us this. Love Jones had to give us this because this was something that was happening prior to and before. Now. Let's think about this within our ancestors during the times of in the eight in the late 1800s. There wasn't a sense of emotion and expression. But once you figured those things out by by the time you take yourselves out and we go almost 100 years in the future to the 1990s instead of the 1890s, we have this we've built up our vocab. We know what we want to say now. And we're expressing those things. We're aware of those things. Those things are happening. Those things are happening, which is nothing wrong with it. And we have to understand that there's nothing wrong with expression. There's nothing wrong with someone calling you out on a thing or, or questioning you on a thing. It's a must. It happens. It's a requirement for a healthy relationship and especially a marriage. This is my, this may be just my take, but take it as you want. But 
within this time, you also had several different things that occurred within the 1990s. Other than the depictions of, you know, the Love Jones era, you had real life things that had to occur, too, that affect what black love and where black love is and where black love was going. Within the night, within the late 80s, you had the literal within the 70s, you had the literal invention of hip hop. So a black art form is now created and creating what comes with that creation also is a culture, a culture that comes with it. And that culture is added on to decade by decade by decade. So by the 1990s, we have the introduction of gangster rap. We have the introduction. We have the introduction of all these different variables and different versions of things that came before. So R&B is now changed in so many new ways with the introduction of new jack swing and so many different groups and all this cool shit about just love and people are talking about love in these interesting ways so art is still moving on still some of the some of the best musicians artistry is happening it's literally a golden era for black entertainment and black imagery as a whole what's happening in the world in the world we have such things as the crack epidemic that sparked over a lot of different metropolitans. A lot of people kind of always kind of depicted to be something that was just uh, a New York thing, but it was something that definitely transpired all over. Cocaine and crack and free base or whatever you want to call it is something that certainly got its way all around the world, all around the nation. And it affected so many different people in so many different communities. Within the introduction of the crack epidemic, you also had introduction of mass incarceration with various crime bills that were signed within the 90s within the early 90s specifically so now you have a literal destruction of the black family you have a literal destruction of the black family and the way this destruction comes is from exterior forces everyone prior to this generation were very familiar and very well-known when it comes to marriage. Marriage was something that was thought to be a requirement, thought to be something that we will do, something that will happen, something that is a part of the relationship. What changes that? The very thing that changes that is the fact that there's this rift that is occurring you have men being shot in the street either by their own you know own person a person within the community or a cop in the street people going to jail by the massive massive numbers or people actually getting strung out and you losing them to drugs either just by the way of the environment them literally becoming homeless and becoming kind of destitute or an individual who literally dies from an overdose of some sort. I think that it's something vital, something that you have to point out when you're talking about black love over the ages, because this is something that certainly puts a rift on black love and just how that looks over time. Because now you have additional issues that we have to deal with other than us truly understanding ourselves and learning ourselves. And by this time, We've reached a certain interesting peak coming out of the, you know, the black power era of the 70s. 
and that being re, you know, kind of revigorated within the 80s as well. And you have the black exploit era where, you know, we're seeing depictions of people who are truly <laughs> just all about black power and all about blackness as a whole. You have people who are shouting that out within their own artwork, within their art. You have the emergence of the NOI as well, coming back in full fledged within the 90s, um, giving you even more and more and more energy. And I think we must recognize that life in this time is interesting, but also there's a shift happening. There's a rift and a shift in paradigm happening in the 1990s that changes shit forever. Good and bad. Let's go back to the good. So you have shows like The Cosby Show that also, you know, that, you know, that gave us a just depiction of what a successful family looks like. They were literally a branch off the Jefferson tree. But in addition to that, it gave us a spinoff. Different world. Your favorite show. I think it's currently on, on Amazon right now. They should put it on Netflix because Amazon is something that people just really aren't all into right now. But... It caused a resurgence, a, a strong resurgence of college enrollment during the 90s. And also, you know, it went around, it went along with just the energy towards HBCUs. And because of that resurgence, now you have what? You have so many more women, way more women than any other previous generation to become now what we know now to be one of the most educated demographics in the nation. I think that's extremely vital because I believe that during that time, during the 1990s is when because because there were so many things happening socially. And women had to defend for themselves, raise more children by themselves and do a lot of things for themselves. And in addition to that, there were depictions of even more women who were doing it by themselves, like this is the emergence of Oprah within the 80s, late 80s and 90s. Oprah is the shit. And shows you a level of success that no one can ever touch and still to this day have yet to touch. But I believe that black women reestablished their standards at this time because their perspective has now changed. Unlike every other generation who the generation that didn't have the vocabulary to express themselves fully in the way that they may wanted more, but just didn't want to ask for it because it was the times they were living in. You just glad to be free. Then you go on and on and on where you see marriages. This is your role. This is what you play. You're your Coretta. Your Betty Shabazz. You do what you do. Even though those women are extremely educated, they still were about the role that they were playing. But now, we have women who, that I don't like to weaponize this, this common thing, but you have women who are now growing up without fathers for very circumstantial reasons. Let's make that very clear. Some of these men are dying. Some of these men are being locked up. Some of these men are being caught up within the social system, being criticized, being discriminated against for certain things, all these different things. We'll make that very clear. 
But I also think that it puts because there are also young men being raised within these similar situations right along with these young girls. And I think it's interesting because we always throw it on them. We always throw it on black women for growing up without a father. And that's their issue. That's their problem. That's why they have issues with men. That's why they choose the wrong men because of those things. And I believe also this is what instituted the the emergence of what I like to call the thug attraction theory. Now, not not to go too deep, but the thug attraction theory is almost every woman I talk to and a lot of women I know have had some affinity towards this guy who they would call like this hood nigga, this thug, whatever, what have you. And there's something about his his bravado and his strength and his vibe and his energy that is so attractive to so many women. That bad boy image. I don't give a fuck image, but I'm going to take care of you image. That 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 vibe and that, that energy that just gets you all the way, gets you to able to just give this man whatever the hell he wants. And I think I've seen I've seen on Twitter so many different times where you have men who are sitting here saying like, you know, women are single or whatever because they want a, a dude that's like this or whatever. And um, a lot of dudes not like that. And I had to ask questions. I had to ask the, the right questions to a lot of my friends about like, well, what do you define, you know, as a hood dude? And, you know, is it a literal like he just has to be from the hood or is it the things that he does? And a lot of it, the way I deduced the information, it had a lot to do with his, his manner. It had a lot to do with his behavior. It had a lot to do with the things that he did consistently. And on top of that, it was also a relation to the way that they treated them. Because the way that, that all these women spoke about these men, it was not in the fact of just because he has his hard exterior, just because he is this quote unquote thug or hood guy or person who comes from a certain background and circumstances, he does not treat you within those parameters. He treats you like everything. So I have a theory, the thug attraction theory. The thug attraction theory is the sense of there's the qualities of these men that I believe women are attracted to. Qualities. Now, I think that for women, this isn't a. a a broad stroke or saying that every woman is attracted to these things or every woman is attracted to some type of thug but for the women that are this is what I believe it is and this is for men who are listening because I don't want you getting your feelings about women not checking for you because of that because that's probably not it and it also everybody don't gotta be your type bro it is what it is move on and find yours but the thug attraction theory I see it is this women are attracted to certain qualities of these men one thing that we know to be true that women are doctrinated to want a man who not only provides, but does what he has to do to provide and shows this sense of initiative. Thugs show a lot of initiative. They're always, if you are in the shits and you are like, even if no matter what type of dirt that you into, what type of low down thing you might be doing, you are getting after. You are providing. You're not taking the excuse or taking the example of where you come from and allowing that to not uh, not make you money to not make you successful it still propels you up you allow that to be your footstool to do whatever you need to do that shit is attractive to a lot of women the fact that they are very deep and it's almost un 
there's literally no energy to create some sense of presence too. They're strong. They demand respect. You know, and to have somebody who has a literal thoughts of every day could be my last, there's a certain energy that comes with that individual. Certain closeness that could come with that individual. So I could be way off. I can be way off. But I believe that's something that a lot of men who don't come from those circumstances, who don't come from that situation, just do not possess naturally all the time. You come from a middle class home and you're really not used to having to get after it and and show this certain type of initiative. Then you kind of approach life a different way. And also there's this sense of like being able to get up and go. And I think because men who come from those specific situations have seen death, understand at an early age, have seen the worst, have seen harm, they appreciate so much more. So that woman that they feel like they maybe shouldn't even be with, shouldn't even be giving them the time of day, they treat that woman like everything. Because today could be their last day. It could be no more days, period. I think that's something that's just really interesting, but I believe within this time, it had to happen. Like these things just had to occur, but I believe at this time it was more so sentiments were visible because of the depiction of all these different things. I believe sentiments became wildly more visible and certainly became something that was verbally expressed within a lot of these different, you know, things of, you know, media, media things and entertainment things and songs and all these different things. But because I believe more women were beginning, were beginning to be educated, I believe the black woman reestablished their standards because their perspectives changed. They shifted. Unlike the women of the past generations, they were not only cooking the bacon, but they were now starting to bring it home by the thousands, hundreds of thousands. And this brings us to the 2000s. Yep, yep, yep. We are here. We are here. We're in a time where we're going from the 2000s to the present now. We're talking about black love still. So... We left off in the 90s where things are now shifting. We have socially, we have the the black crisis happening and all that. But now we're going into the 2000s, going into the new millennium. And we have now a generation that has lived with thousands of people, you know, thousands of people who've grown up without fathers, grown up without the, the first generation as a whole to have a lot of different people who can have had a shared experience of growing up without a whole family. A lot of single mothers, a lot of single fathers raising their children. This affects our depiction and our definition, our views on black love. Because the first image or the first sight of it should come within the home. You should see it within the home. These practices are now broken. This chain is now gone. It's not even unlatched or unlinked. It's gone. 
the tradition of being married and it being a role and being a very interesting segment within our lives is now slowly or by this time practically all gone and diminished. And now things change because I think now people are thinking differently. Man and woman are thinking differently. They're thinking more about their what their needs are, the necessity. And they're trying to hold on to certain things and certain parts, romanticizing the 90s and the things that they grew up and heard about and were ready to get into once they got to that age. But yet, this is not, we are not in the 90s. This is not the Love Jones generation. We were not at that time. Within the 2000s, especially within the early 2000s, you had the introduction of social media. Um, which further complicated what already was starting to become complicated. Mind you, we were getting to a point to where we were communicating. We had families. We were literally have like producing the black middle class. And this was being shown on TV. We were seeing this. This was literally a reflection of where we were in a lot of ways. But simultaneously, there was a destruction of that literally happened at the exact same time within the 90s. So now we're in the 2000s. And it's the aftermath. Within this aftermath, we have the introduction of a, now a new medium of communication when we really have now had our communication wedged and changed. We have had our communication literally altered in ways. Because now we have boys growing up without fathers. We have girls growing up without fathers at, by the rampant numbers and now you have even more of a, less of a pool of people who could quote unquote be married quote unquote be committed to each other in some way shape or form now this black love that I'm speaking of is something that you know I'm realizing literally 40 almost 45 minutes in it I didn't and I think this is something that I want to do later on. And that's, you know, truly give a deep dive and to think in, in a thought of black love as it is within same sex love. Because I certainly have been very, very um, biased within that. And I apologize for that. But I, as we all as we all know, that there is certainly a uh, an interesting sense of, you know, <laughs> secrecy. That came with loving someone of the same sex. But I think yet again, I think it's still something to be highlighted. And I would love to speak and build with someone else and talk to someone else about that. Because I don't want to touch that and do that in the wrong way. But more about that later. I digress. I think that it further the introduction of social media further skewed what we know. But let's before we get too deep into social media. Let's talk about what I would like to say is a very interesting, very, 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 very interesting thing that has occurred. And that was within 2009. Uh, the I found within my research, the black it was a research paper written by the Iowa Research Online Um and it essentially gave us uh, what uh, I'm reading from excerpts of the black love is not a fairy tale. And in 2009, 
African-American, there were African-American men. There was this spike or this rise in African-American men kind of speaking out about relationships. And within that same year, this is after Obama, I, I might might have to point out. This is after he was elected. There was an unprecedented number of self-help texts that were written. At least three books and a film aimed at helping black women understand their emotional shortcomings. Um, there was a, essentially a time, in the, and I think this is vital to point out, is that things were happening. The aftermath of the times of the 90s were that people were not connecting. People were not getting together. People were miscommunicated and misunderstood. The black man and the black woman are now really not gelling well together. And it's still like that to this day. Still like that to this day. But essentially they were blaming black women for failed relationships. You see this in such what I see as a spoof, <laughs> but this was a serious attempt in showing and exemplifying that within films such as the diary, the diary of the tired black man. But in these in the same year, you have three books being written. One by Hill Harper, one by Steve Harvey, one by a guy by the name of Jimmy Israel. Who came and gave you concepts about what women don't know, what women are doing. And this is what men feel like should be happening. Women aren't doing these specific things. And that was extremely, extremely interesting to really look into. It, it was almost like, damn, we truly, truly feel this way. Like, this is really what it is. And I'll read some excerpts from the, uh, the research. But, but in 2009, filmmaker Tim Alexander released a film, Diary of the Tired Black Man. The film moves between real on the street interviews with black men and women and a fictional look at the relationship between a black man, James, and his wife, Tanya, who is constantly angry and verbally abusive, or as he states, always acting so strong. Alexander accounts the problem is that African-American women have poor relationships with their fathers or no relationship and have subsequently made poor choices in men. They thus carry disproportionate anger to their relationships with good men. Alexander creates a syndrome, the angry black woman syndrome. No, we're very familiar with this. I'm sorry, ladies, if you feel triggered by that. I don't personally subscribe to the that creation. To explain the pathological presence he believes they bring to relationships, Alexander rejects demographic claims about the dating pool, choosing to argue that black women's dysfunction is the cause of their romantic unhappiness, while he acknowledges that there are some African-American men who behave in unproductive ways and be relationships which seems like an afterthought alexander believes that black women are primarily to blame for failed black heterosexual relationships because of their anger and desire for thugs and combative interactions now i think there's a few things that are happening 
think there's a few things that are happening with this. Um, what's happening to me is men of this time, men in this era, men still to this day are truly misunderstanding what women are trying to express to us. And I also think that sometimes it can be convoluted and, and kind of looked over because of other things that have possibly been said to you, other opinions that have probably aligned more to what you feel. And there are, and because of the Internet, we always have a scapegoat. And that's what makes miscommunication even worse, because all we have to do is bring up an example of a woman that's given us what we like and say, well, see, this is a person who told me this is how I should be. So this is why I am the way that I am. It is what it is. You got to it's you. And what I want everybody to understand is that I understand very well that the black man has a plight. The black man has pressures that nobody else would ever understand. But those pressures are not just kept within us, but also expressed out and pushed out. And that energy is given to someone else. And that energy has to be given out to someone else. And we can't expect for that that pressure and that energy that we have and that we're holding, that we feel that's on our shoulders and we're trying to lift it and, and give it off to the women within our lives and expect for them to, quote unquote, be cool, be able to take it, be strong enough to just be able to just be happy and kind of just go with it, submit to whatever that thing is. It just is what it is, huh? But I continue. Um, Alexander, Tim Alexander was a few, was one of a few people that, cause there was this resurgence. There was this interesting resurgence of this is what black love is. And this is what the black relationship, this is the state of black relationships and black women are the reason for so many of these things. Black men are now, there are good black men out there. There are whatever they were certain. There was this campaign to truly put the blame on black women. Men think this way. Y'all don't get us. Y'all aren't doing what we want y'all to do so we can approach y'all and be committed to y'all and do all these things for y'all. It is your fault. We have done what we are supposed to do. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. We are good men. You don't want to call us that. You think we're all dogs. You think this, you think that. You want this, we don't want that. There is still, yet again, no communication amongst each other, but a lot of assumptions going all the way around. This is what I've noticed. But also within this time, we have such people as Steve Harvey making that shift from being a comedian, a very well-known comedian, a king of comedy, to a relationship expert coming out with a book called Act like a lady, think like a man. We all remember this book. It literally became a film thereafter. The whole title, if you didn't know, was Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. What men really think about love, relationships, intimacy, and commitment. And it was very comedic. But it is what it was. Um, and then you have Jimmy Israel, who was another person who came out with a book in that, in that same year. Um, where he called, where it's titled The Denzel Principle, Why Black Women Can't Find Good Black Men. Within his book, which you may have not heard of, because it's definitely less popular than Steve's, um, he essentially said that the Denzel Principle was that black women have standards that are unreasonable, and that cannot be reached. He brings in the element of 
emasculation. The element of black women literally want a man that is all is all of what the thug theory, my thug attraction theory is somebody who brings all of those different energies with you, but also also too brings in this energy of softness, this energy of compassion and this energy of almost in obedience in a way. This is what he believes. And he calls it the Denzel theory because you want a man that is tough and rough, but also will paint your nails and, you know, and take your makeup off. That's what he says. Um, and he just feels like it's just a fantasy. Then you have actor, very well-known actor, Hill Harper, who wrote The Conversation. How men and women can build loving, trusting relationships, which I believe his rhetoric on that was possibly maybe the most beneficial out of the three i think the most non-sexist the most like actual like kind of maybe helpful to me out of the three which which his had a more serious tone directed toward both sexes to address relationship challenges between black men and women because of their because of these credentials um they literally created a whole special on Nightline based off of these things. We're gonna dive into a controversial topic and a really provocative conversation. At issue, woman's quest to find Mr. Right. It can be elusive for anyone, but for black women, specifically for successful black women, the challenge can be that much greater. Consider some numbers here. 42% of black women are unmarried. That's double the percentage of unmarried white women. And for professional black women, the unmarried number spikes to 70%. Vicki Mabry hosts tonight's Face Off. Why can't a successful black woman find a man? Welcome to Hotlanta. <laughs> The capital of beautiful, Hi. professional, that's right, single black women. Single in the ATL! Waiting for that man. <laughs> the numbers are staggering. In the black community nationwide, black women outnumber men by nearly two million. Seventy percent of professional black women can't seem to get a ring on it. Beyonce's lyrics have become an anthem for young black women everywhere. Because the problem is real. But who's to blame? The men or the women? We brought together a sharp, Mwah. sassy, we'll see what happens. And sophisticated group of single men and women here at Atlanta's Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center to battle it out at a nightline face-off. I gotta prepare myself. Tonight they answer the controversial question, why can't a successful black woman find a man? I might get loud, I might get loud. And as you see like, I think it's interesting that within this time, within 2009, based off those stats, based off a stat that, you know, 42% of black women were single. 
and then you have two million black women you have two more million more black women than black men and by age 30 only half of the black of black women are already married I think within this and I advise you guys to check this out on YouTube I'll put the link so that you guys can watch how this conversation amongst Steve Harvey, Hill Harper, Jimmy Israel, Jackie Reed, and Sherry Shepard uh, went. Because it was very eye-opening. And it still was very, literally, even though we are 10 years away from when that was aired and when that occurred, still have a lot of those issues. Still have a lot of those different misconceptions. Still, we still really don't get each other. Black love is gotten to a really interesting place. Truly, truly interesting place. Within it, it talks about, you know, people who stepped outside of the race, which is interesting now, especially now. People who have just different standards that have still yet to this day have been addressed and quite frankly done anything about. But what I would say, what I would say to it all is that the fact that we are still in a place where we've allowed ourselves to distance ourselves from each other, we've pulled ourselves away from each other and we think of ourselves so individually now, I think is the biggest, biggest, biggest problem about the black community. It's about black men and it's about black women. It's about what we want. It's about what y'all want. And how we're how that just doesn't blend, how that doesn't just go together sometimes. I think that's the issue. I think that's the problem. I think that's what's wrong with the times right now. I think there's a whole lot of assumptions being made. I think there's still, yet again, a whole lot of misunderstanding, a whole lot of miscommunication and this is because we are still yet on the aftermath of people who grew up without fathers. We are now still that generation. Yes, but we are now growing and creating another generation of people who are continuing that energy that we still have not done anything with, still have yet to fix, still have yet to get right. One thing that I think out of all these things that I've read and all these things that I've seen that is that we are communicating a lot with each other with a lot of the same sex. We certainly have to do more talking across the board to each other. It's not like something is going to just figure out looking at each other because sometimes it's so damn conditional, it's so circumstantial. Black women are only talking to single black women. Black women are only talking to married women. Black men are only talking to other are I'm talking to unhappily married men and the happily married men are really not talking that much or just kind of just whatever, whatever. People are getting fed up. People are feeling like they don't have to settle down. People are changing their whole full concept of what marriage is to them. People don't believe in marriage as much anymore. People aren't getting married as much anymore. But yet we still have this interesting value of marriage. We still have this interesting value and this weird 
so, so strange. Because you have black men now to this day who literally will hold marriage over a woman's head because they believe that they know that she wants it. They know that you're going to value it. They know that it matters a lot to you. They're going to hold everything over your head. The kids, marriage, the commitment. And it's made us have this really, really weird gap amongst each other from truly, truly connecting and getting back to that black love that we really need. And I don't even know if we really ever achieved it fully into a sense of its full potential, but I believe we definitely had moments where it was there and it could have truly been built upon and grown a culture within as well. And I think it's still very present in so many different areas. We have so many beautiful examples of people who are healthy individuals with the B's and J's, with, with Michelle and Barack. It's some very healthy examples that, that we have and not relationship goals. We should not look at these people as relationship goals. We should look at these people as examples of individuals who have done what they had to do to make themselves right for each other or make sure whatever they're doing to each other or for themselves is good for the group, good for the unit, which is a person-to-person -person thing. You are not Michelle, you are not Barack, you are not B or J. So we cannot live our lives in the sense of that way. We can't think, let's just do what they did and it's gonna work the same way for us. That is not the case. We should not do that. It's a personal person situation. So solutions, solutions. What I believe is that I love black love. And even though we are here in Black History Month and we're gonna sit here and we're gonna talk about a lot of things, we have to keep in mind that there is still the, the we have all the room to fix these things. Within all of this research that I've done, I really didn't see anything about mental health being something that was examined and thought about. The pressures that black women go through, the pressures that black men go through, truly does not, uh, does not happen and is not present within every other generation, within every other race, excuse me. And within that, within that, it's also a sense of Post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic and post-slave disorder as well that I believe is still very, very deep within us because we didn't start from a place like everybody else communicating what we really feel. I can only imagine that our ancestors had so much more to express to each other and about the love that they share for each other that we really still to this day don't even know. And the fact that we don't even know affects us. It affects us. Because we essentially got to a point to where we just seen it as we just have to just be together. We got to just make it happen. We got to raise these kids. We got to play our role. And we made we made being in, in, a, in a marriage a job. Black love and being married and being bound to each other and being whatever type of spiritual bond you might want to call it, whatever you believe in today, it's not a job. It's a choice. And it's something that the universe is truly trying to just show you this is where you want to be. And we have to see it that way. We got to feel it that way. Truthfully, we do. But solutions. Um, because we're in the now. And I would love for everybody listening, for you, to give me what you think. Tell me what you think about what you just listened to. 
Tell me about you think about the state of where we are now when it comes to black love and how you feel about it. But these are my three things. We must do the work on ourselves. I believe that mental health is something that has been out of our history, out of us, not a trend within us. And we have so much stuff that we need to unpack. It's so much stuff that we need to talk to somebody about. It's so much personal trauma that we've been through that no one in this world knows or can relate specifically to. We must master our self-expression, but also a con- a, also understand compassion and have a sense of understanding. So we still need to be better communicators and express ourselves and all these things, but we still need to think of the other individual and not to be selfish. And lastly, we have to understand compromise and empathy and balance. I believe that we are at a point now where we've grown so far past where we were. We are in different places, in different spaces. Black women are leaps and bounds ahead of so many other women in this world as it comes from a as it comes from just mentally and it makes sense they're the first first beings in this who walked this earth so i'm not surprised that black women have found themselves rising more and more to the top in certain aspects but yet again they're still one of the most disrespected individuals in this world and so we have to protect them but we also need to have empathy for what they're asking for us to do we see that as unreasonable So many of us see what they want from us as unreasonable. We haven't even wanted and asked, why is this something that you want? And we just immediately say, this is something that we don't want to do. Which the fact of the matter is, is that is something that crosses their mind often. No matter who that man is that they're with and no matter what that man is doing. You know how many women have had to relocate and get further away from where they really want to be because a man is the one who's taking care of her. So she compromises. She shows empathy. Well, he is getting after his dream. I guess I can't work wherever and do whatever I do in that state, in that city. I guess I do need to kind of keep it to myself what I'm going through because I am kind of depressed right now. But he's like having a hard time on the job. So I kind of need to be happy for him. That is something that occurs so very often. And hardly ever do I hear examples of married men and men within relationships who are talking about how they came in and had to support their girl, had to pick up the pieces for the girl and make sure that she was good emotionally and spiritually and all these different things. A woman can not only be a man's foundation, but we have to be a foundation for each other. We have to build with something for each other. It has to be balanced within us. It's a whole lot of just give, 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 and you take, take, take when there has to be a, a equal exchange. And that equality and that equal exchange does not have to always be the exact. It does not always have to be what you expect it to be. It has to be what that individual needs. But maybe that's just me. Well, this has been my comeback. Come back, come back, come back to the world of podcasting and right into your ears and right into your eardrums. I hope you enjoyed it. 
and I want this conversation to continue. Um, you'll see the hashtag, you know, um, under under the picture, under the uh, within the, the caption of any post that you see this. And you can follow me everywhere at Kings underscore memoirs. You can follow the uh, Simply King podcast at Simply King pod on IG. Um, you can listen to this everywhere now. And I'm so glad to be able to say that everywhere podcasts are available, um, period. <laughs> and I have even more. I think I'm working on iHeartRadio right now for all you people who are listening to iHeartRadio. But you can still find me on all the things that you used to listen to me on. But now I'm on Spotify, so you better fuck with me. You better tell a friend. You better like it, add it, and review it. I need you all to review these things now. Tell me what you think. Get into the messages. Keep the conversation going. You can DM me anytime. I su- I take all suggestions and continuations of any conversation that I've started and try to throw out there. You can just slide in my DMs or you can just go to uh, Simply King podcast page on Facebook as well and start something under the post. But I'm trying to come at you guys a lot harder, a lot smarter with some great content, some dope solo stuff. Trying to give you some cool content and interesting stuff, you know, listen to where you're at work, on your commute, whatever it is. But more than anything, I'm trying to start conversations that can truly create change. And this is something I care about. And I know that you guys care about it, too, even if you say you don't. I know you do. I know you're trying to get better. I know you're trying to make things better. And you can do it. Trust me, you can. We will do it together. Well, this is the Soulfully Conscious Pie. Oh, and also, I got merch coming. So look out for that coming soon. <laughs> This is the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans Simply Being Humans. I'm Rodney Perry, also known as King, and this is Simply King. Simply King.